Welcome to the Goals Podcast, the business case for women's sports, where we explore every corner of the women's sports industry from the field to the front office. I'm Caroline Fitzgerald, and I'm here to prove that it's good business to be in the business of women's sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Ally, a change maker in women's sports, steadfast in their commitment to the fight for media equity, because we're all better off with an ally. Our guest today is Barrett Corin, the Associate Vice President of Consulting at Wasserman. Welcome to the show, Barrett. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for having me. It is so wonderful to have you on the show, Barrett. Thank you so much for being here. I'm such a fan of your work. And I know we're going to be talking all about the data and research today. But to start things off, I'd love to hear more about your career journey because I know you've had quite a wonderful path. So can you talk us through your path that's ultimately led you to becoming an AVP at Wasserman? Well, thank you uh, for saying that. And, you know, I think like a lot of people, it wasn't a totally linear journey uh, that got me to Wasserman. I started my career in music. I was really focused on brand and commercial partnerships during my time at Universal and EMI Music. I even worked in uh, music streaming in the early days. But from the beginning, I had this passion for driving brand and social equity through partnerships. Partnerships was really my specialty. And so when I got the opportunity to apply those fundamentals to an organization with more of a focus on sport, it took me a minute to wrap my head around it because I was always such a passionate music fan and I'd never even thought about working in sport. But what I learned uh, when I got to know Wasserman is that my values really aligned uh, to theirs. And and that's really what attracted me most. And once I started, I realized that more than ever before, Wasserman provided me with an opportunity to make an impact, uh, both with our clients and with our internal team. And it really has felt like a gift. That's incredible. So I know you have a really big job at Wasserman. So what does a typical day or week look like in your role? Well, I think the beauty of working for a multidimensional integrated agency is that each day, each week is dynamic. You know, we're constantly responding to market changes and client needs. So typical is is not a word that I would use to describe my day to day. But, you know, in my role, I support our brand clients primarily to solve problems. You know, how are they making an impact through their sports, entertainment and culture spends and strategies? And when I talk about impact, it's really intersectional, right? So we're not just talking about brand impact, but we're talking about impacting their business, making a social impact, right? Which is more important now than ever before. So everything we do is looked at from multiple perspectives, and we build strategies for how to leverage sport and culture to drive impact. And so my day is spent talking about where, how, and why these brands should should be doing this. I also have a large team, so so much of my day, and lucky for me, is spent collaborating, planning, and facilitating not just the growth of our business and our services, but but personal growth as well with, with my colleagues. Well, your job certainly isn't typical, but it's really wonderful what you do. And I know you've been really busy recently publishing some real game-changing women's sports research. You published a report in partnership with RBC called The New Economy of Sport, The Unparalleled Value of Professional Women Athletes. And this report contains some really incredible insights that have been adapted across the industry to make the business case for investing in women's sports. So can you share more about the report and what some of the key takeaways are? Yes, absolutely. 
So while there's been incredible progress made across the entire ecosystem, what captured our attention for this particular project is how historically and specifically over the last three years, professional women athletes have used their platform to drive impact and influence fans and brands. And so the question that we aim to answer through this project was how can we quantify the incredible influence and impact of female athletes and really isolate their unique value proposition? And of course, partnering with RBC, the idea here is how do we drive greater investment and greater economic interest in women's sport, right? To achieve our collective goal of advancing the power of women, advancing the women's sport ecosystem. So to understand those, those numbers, we really had to get a fulsome picture of what the current economic model is for professional women's sports. So the first thing that we did was understand the realities of the pay gap. So we, we looked closely at CBAs. We went deep into our own books here at Wasserman. You know, we looked at, we anonymized, of course, but we looked at all of the revenue for the athletes that, that we represent. And, and we went deep in basketball, uh, soccer, golf, and tennis. And what we found, to no surprise, is that on average, male athletes are earning 21 times what women athletes are earning on the field of play. So just talking about salary or prize money here. And this really varies widely across different sport verticals. You know, tennis prize money is, is more closely aligned between men and women. But in basketball, across the NBA and WNBA, men are making 100 times what women make. You know, the average NBA player is making more than $11 million a year. And the WNBA equivalent is taking home 100K a year. So there's a massive gap there. We wanted to go further, right? The, we've we've heard a ton about uh, pay and equity, but we wanted to look a bit deeper. And so we looked off the field of play, right? We did an analysis on sponsorship dollars, income related to endorsement deals, appearance fees, um, social media campaigns. And what we found there is that 90% of sponsorship dollars are going to male players, Okay, so women in some cases have a higher volume of deals, but the economics with those deals are challenging. So what this really means when you look at the full picture is that women rely way more on off the field endorsement deals than men do because their salaries are so low. So they're relying on endorsements and sponsorships twice as much as men do. And specifically, 82% of their income is coming from these commercial partnerships, okay? So the, the pie is really tilted towards commercial partnerships. So the opportunity from our perspective is to stimulate interest amongst these commercial partners to make larger investments so that we can build, you know, a stronger economic picture for female athletes. Right now, they're they're essentially working a second job to cultivate this, this fan base, to engender corporate sponsors, and to give them a fraction of the pie off the field of play. So what we took from this is that there's a, mis there's a mismatch, right? The current compensation picture for women is really not reflective of their market value. We didn't know this. This was an assumption that we made. So to prove that, we engaged in a large consumer survey. 
we asked North American sports fans a series of questions around their perception and behavior as it relates to women athletes in, in sport. So the goal in doing this consumer survey was to really align the current economic picture with the true marketplace value of these athletes. And so what we found is that the fans of women's sport and women's professional athletes specifically are different than fans of men's sport. So they're more evenly split between men and women. In fact, there are more, a higher percentage of male fans of, of women's sports than there are of men's sports. And that these fans are younger, they're more educated, they're more affluent than fans of men's sports. So these are next-gen fans with spending power, and they're the future of our economy, and they're a significant priority target for corporate partners. Absolutely. That is so interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what's more interesting is how these fans are engaging with women athletes. That's where the data became really, really juicy. We found that these women athletes, probably because of out of necessity, they've had to cultivate fandom online. You know, the numbers right now say that only 4% of sports media coverage is dedicated to women's sports. So how do you build excitement around the game? How do you generate and nurture fandom? You do it online, right? So these women are using their social media platforms to really engage fans, connecting with them where they are and leveraging social media as their, their primary platform for fandom. And because of this, these women athletes are actually driving two times the engagement on social media than men athletes are. Okay, so... Uh, a fan of women athletes is going to like, comment, or reshare on social media twice as much as they're doing for men. For men, and there's real currency in that, and real value for brand partners. Um, and because of this deep connection that they've cultivated, women athletes are over-indexing on certain qualities. Right? They're found to be more inspirational, more trustworthy. You know, more likely to be positive role models. And because of that, there's this tremendous halo effect of partnering with these women athletes. In fact, ads that feature women athletes are perceived as more progressive, more inclusive, more inspiring. So the real key takeaway through all of this is that while women athletes drive double the engagement and over-index on a myriad of traits, they're not compensated accordingly, right? So we need to shift the way that brands and properties are engaging with women athletes and structuring their deals with these athletes by putting their reach and their loyal fan base at the center. And instead of building a model, a partnership model like you would with a male athlete, you actually have to treat it differently, right? The value is there. In, in some cases, there's even greater value. But the one thing we know is that it's different. The relationship that women have with their fans, the impact that they have with brands is different than that of male athletes. And the model needs to reflect that. Everything that you just said lays out that not only is it the right thing to do to invest in women athletes because of this in-depth look that you took into the pay gap, it's also good for business. So everything you said is just so compelling and so interesting. I guess the question I have for you, is there anything that you found that really surprised you? Anything that you weren't expecting to find when you went into doing this research? Well, I think we knew that women athletes had the power to lead and influence. You know, they continue to be conduits of advocacy and social justice. 
I think what we didn't necessarily expect to find was the influence that they had on brands that support them and and how much this influence extends to brand equity. I mean, these women are so trusted that when they endorse a product, their fans respect and trust that endorsement and they show up and they buy the product, they follow and engage with the brand. So the spillover effect that these women delivered to partners is really unprecedented. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really interested in the partnership that you formed with RBC, even just on this report. RBC has been such an incredible supporter of women's sports as a brand. They're obviously a bank, so they're not an endemic partner to sport. So how and why did you ultimately decide to work together to publish this research? So you're right. RBC is not a sport brand. But what they do do that perhaps people don't know is that they sit at the center of where and how money moves in sport. They're major venue financers. They work with capital partners who are investing in teams and leagues. And at the athlete level, they have a a full division as part of wealth management that's dedicated to sports professionals. Their core focus is to provide wealth management and financial advisory services to athletes and sports industry professionals. So it's their job to understand investment trends in sport and economic opportunities for their clients. And RBC believes in the power and potential of women in sport, but they're a bank. So belief is not enough. So what motivated this study is helping them to understand the value proposition associated with women athletes. And what's inspired the entire study is this notion of a new economy of sport. Because the idea is that when pay is right-sized, right, when that equity picture looks different, it impacts the entire economic picture as it relates to sport, both men and women. Ultimately, the goal for both RBC and, and the collective in engaging in this research is to stimulate interest in the market, to drive up the economics and demand amongst financiers and commercial partners for women athletes and women's sports. And if we can do this, then we can get brands in the investment community to listen and and the demand goes up and, and the economics follow. Absolutely. I love this. This is what I like to call brand intervention to grow women's sports. It's just so important for brands to set up and be leaders to signal to other commercial organizations that it is the right thing to do and it's good business to invest in women's sports. And not only that, Caroline, it's it achieves that brand equity, but it, you're making a contribution to the long-term sustainability and scalability of women's sports. At the end of the day. So the, the achievements are threefold, you know, for for from a brand and business perspective, but to the entire ecosystem of women in sport at large. Based on this study, what is the biggest thing that you think needs to happen for women's sports to continue to grow? I think ultimately growth across the system really requires a greater buy-in, a belief in the long-term value of women's sport. Ultimately, your core belief needs to be that women's sport is valuable. What the women's sports industry needs is greater investment at the team, the league, and the athlete level. But there's no denying it. And of course, media plays a major role. Athletes have a role to play too, right? They have to continue to bring their A game. The quality of the product needs to be there. And they have to engage fans in unique ways. And all of this needs to sort of align to our changing social landscape. So there isn't one big thing. I I honestly do think, though, that when the compensation picture for women athletes is right-sized, this new economy of sport will emerge. 
Um, and this is a team sport, right? This isn't one individual thing. And at the core are people who really buy into and are passionate about the true value and unique value related to, to women's sport. Absolutely. So, Varid, if you were a representative at a brand that was looking to sponsor or invest in women's sports, how would you use this study to inform your strategy? Well, I think brands need to figure out what role they're going to play in equity, okay? Because they have the power to change the game and there's a responsibility angle as well. So, doing more business with women athletes is not just helping to advance their power, but it's advancing, you know, the ecosystem in the long term. So, if I were a brand, I would leverage the opportunity to now to build credibility, right? I would look at these investments completely different than investments we might be making in men's sport um, because the impact potential is so different. I would build a relevant narrative around fan engagement, around sustained impact, and I would offer women the opportunity to grow alongside the brand through collaboration, joint ventures, or even through building a revenue sharing model, you know, because I think as women's sport and women athletes continue to grow and gain popularity, the opportunity to be aligned to that growth as a brand is tremendous. And it also provides women long-term revenue sharing potential and maybe greater revenue potential based on the commitment they're making through their fans. So I think that collaboration opportunity is massive. I would also double down on my media buy to drive awareness. I think we undervalue the amount that fans are looking at brand spends and what brands are doing from a social impact perspective. So I would I would lean into that. This is an opportunity to really rise the tide for all stakeholders when it comes to women athletes. It's a great answer. We're going to put a pin in it right there for a second to hear a quick message from our partner, and then we'll be back with our final closing questions. As you may know, the goal of this podcast is to show brands, networks, and people in general that it's good business to invest in women's sports. We know that women in sports are incredible and are breaking boundaries and setting records. But did you know they receive less than 10% of all sports media coverage? It's a vicious cycle. The lack of media coverage means fans miss out while networks and sponsors can't see the fan base and don't invest in the media. Now, more than ever, it's time for brands to jump in. That's why our sponsor, Ally, is making big moves to put an end to the cycle and give women's sports the coverage they deserve. This year, Ally is continuing to invest in access for women's sports through sponsorships with ESPN, CBS, and women-owned outlets giving fans more opportunities to watch what they want, where they want. So tune in and be part of the change. To learn more, check out watchtochange.com because we're all better off with an Ally. All right, Barrett, we are back. I can't believe we're already at the end of our conversation. This has been so wonderful. I could listen to you talk about the data and research all day long, but we are going to close this out. So if you could wave a magic wand and create equity in one aspect of sports, what would it be? I'm going to get serious for a second because I don't think this is an issue we can we can ignore, but ultimately um, bodily autonomy. You know, the ability for for women and and anybody, any athlete, any individual to maintain power over their body, to maintain uh, agency and choice and dignity. It's really the foundation for gender equity. And above all, it's just a fundamental human right. 
So, you know, I think we've seen a lot of examples of this recently and, you know, freedom to wear what best suits the requirements of your job and the sport that you play effectively rather than, you know, the arbitrary rules that have catered to, you know, the male gaze for so long. So bodily autonomy above all as a fundamental right and and the foundation to greater equity in sport. It's a great answer. We've never had that answer to this question and 50 plus episodes. And I think that is so important to continuing the growth of women's sports and creating equity across all of sport. All right, before we get to our final question, is there anything that you'd like to plug or share with our listeners? Ultimately, you know, listen to goals, listen to the goals podcast, uh, engage with the gist, watch games, um, go to games, buy the merch. You know, it's about fan engagement. The more, the larger the fan base the more the brands will be interested, the greater demand for leagues and teams uh, will exist. And that that will help to, to grow the economic picture. And it's a supply and demand game. So be part of that, that fan base and engage and, and spend on women's sport and, and be loyal and, and honor those women by engaging and doing whatever you can uh, through social media likes to lift them up. I agree. I get a lot of questions here at Goals about how can the average women's sports fan invest in women's sports? Because I certainly don't have millions of dollars here to invest in a team or buy a team or do a big play with um, a new league, but we can all contribute to this growth by investing our time, by being intentional about how we spend our dollars within women's sports. So I think that's such a wonderful call to action. Well, and be, be part of the conversation. Right. I mean, this is this is a large collective conversation that we're all having and we have everyone can make an impact by bringing a new perspective uh, and sharing what they value most, what they enjoy most and be open minded. If it's not something that you engage with now, and I'm sure all of your listeners do, but if there's anyone that that's not engaging with with women's sport or girls in sport. It, it doesn't take much to feel how powerful it is and how impactful it is just by showing up. Absolutely. All right, Barrett, last question. And we always close with this question on the podcast. Can you summarize in a few sentences why you think it's good business to invest in women's sports? Women's sports, it's a growth area, right? So in investors, it's economics 101. They're looking for growth. They're looking for growth that's sustainable and scalable. And women's sport provides that. The returns are starting to come and they'll continue to grow. The market is demanding women's sport and the supply needs to grow with it. Absolutely. Wonderful answer. We can drop the microphone right there. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for everything that you do and are doing to accelerate the growth of women's sports. It's so wonderful to know you and to be doing this work alongside you. Well, right back at you. It's such a pleasure to be here and to have this awesome platform. And thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Goals Podcast, the business case for women's sports presented by Ally, a change maker in women's sports steadfast in their commitment to the fight for media equity because we're all better off with an ally. To learn more about Goals and our work to bring more brand investment into women's sports, be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram or visit our website at goals-sports.com. And remember, it's simply good business to be in the business of women's sports.